content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our December 2023 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately, a program from the North Carolina Reading Service. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the State Library of North Carolina Accessible Books and Library Services, an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. The Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that later in the program. This program is all about books available from the State Library of North Carolina, accessible books, and library services. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library has more than 11,000 patrons across the state. And if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have more information about that at the end of this program as well. Now, this month, we're going to take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of November at the State Library of North Carolina Accessible Books and Library Services. We're going to begin with a book called Obsessed, and it is a Michael Bennett psychological thriller by James Patterson. And James O'Born. And this is from a Kirkus review that was done by Ray Palin in July of this year. So it's a brand new book. Obsessed is the sixth Michael Bennett novel that James Patterson has written with James O'Born. The title is more than accurate, and the word obsession can be tagged to several characters in this clever and twisty dark thriller. Young women have gone missing in the New York City area and are now turning up dead. The most real comment in the book occurs early on when the father of one of the missing girls tells Bennett, if your child is missing, you want the whole world to stop and go look for them. Not only will Bennett take these words to heart, it will propel him to do whatever it takes to get justice for these young ladies and stop the obsessively evil criminal before he shatters the life of another family. The story keeps many suspects in the mix while maintaining suspense levels that make this one an absolute pleasure to consume. One victim is found. When her body washes up in the East River, she is identified as Suzanne Morton, a friend of Bennett's daughter, Juliana. It is now personal for Bennett as he realizes that this abduction and cruel murder could just as well have been perpetrated against Juliana. He and his crack team of colleagues use several techniques and resources at their disposal to start lining up potential subjects, or suspects, I should say. That is the beauty of Obsessed, and any Michael Bennett thriller 
the hyper-realistic forensics and gritty, intelligent police work that is exhibited in each and every case. It is obvious that Bourne had a successful career as a law enforcement agent as he brings much of his experience to life on these pages. The spotlight first shines on a privileged, pompous investor named Kyle Banning. Now, even though some of the deceased and missing women can be tied to him, it turns out that they also have a connection to his troubled brother, high schooler Jaden. Now, we learn that some of the victims worked on the side for an escort agency known for providing the girlfriend experience to their male clientele. This uh, typically refers to an expensive night on a man's arm that does not include sex. If sex were to occur, that would be a separate charge, usually worked out between the escort and their date. But both Banning brothers seem to be associated with this service, in addition to a slew of other men in the New York City area, some of whom needed to be looked at more closely by Bennett and his team. There aren't many authors out there with the plotting skills of James Patterson, and Obsessed is some of the finest work he has done. The story keeps many suspects in the mix while maintaining suspense levels that make this one an absolute pleasure to consume. Once again, this review was written by Ray Palin in July of this year, and the book is entitled Obsessed, a Michael Bennett psychological thriller by James Patterson and James O'Born. Now let's turn to a very popular recent book by Sandra Brown, a popular novelist, and this one is called Out of Nowhere. Number one New York Times bestselling author Sandra Brown returns with a fast-paced emotional thriller where the lives of a young mother and a high-rolling consultant collide under devastating circumstances, culminating in a desperate manhunt that will change their futures forever. Here's the plot for this one. At a Texas county fair, amidst carousels and a bustling midway, children's book author Ellie Portman is enjoying a rare night out with her favorite cowboy, her two-year-old son, Charlie. But just as they're about to head home, the unthinkable happens. A shooter opens fire into the crowd, causing widespread panic to erupt all around them. Also caught in the melee was corporate consultant Calder Hudson. Arrogant, self-centered, and high off his latest career win, He's frustrated and confused when he wakes up in the hospital after undergoing emergency surgery on his arm. The doctor tells him that he was lucky that as far as gunshot wounds go, he pulled through remarkably well. Others weren't so lucky, which instills in Calder a furious determination to get justice, a goal that is shared by Ellie. Their chance encounter at the police station leads to a surprising and inexplicable gravitation to one another. But even as the attraction grows, Ellie and Calder can't help but wonder if the unimaginable tragedy that brought them together is too painful and too complicated to sustain, whether or especially 
while the shooter remains at large. Once again, the book is called Out of Nowhere, and it's a novel by Sandra Brown. Now let's move on with another novel. This one is entitled Crow Down. It's an Alex Cross and John Sampson thriller. The number one New York Times bestseller, Alex Cross, is gravely injured. Only his partner and friend, John Sampson, can keep him safe and get justice. For the first time, John Sampson is on his own. The brilliant crime-solving duo of Washington, D.C.'s Metro Police Department and the FBI has a proven M.O. Detective Alex Cross makes his own rules. Detective John Sampson enforces them. When military-style attacks erupt, brutally sidelining Cross, Sampson is sent reeling. The patterns are too random. Sampson's friend, his partner, his brother have told him, don't trust anyone. As a shadow force advances on the nation's capital, Samson alone must protect the Cross family, his own young daughter, and every American, including the president. Crow Down, an Alex Cross and John Samson thriller. Now let's turn to a book entitled All the Light We Cannot See a novel by Anthony Doerr. You may know this. There's a, uh, now a Netflix limited series from producer and director Sean Levy, starring Mark Ruffalo, Hugh Laurie, and newcomer Aria Mia Liberti. The winner of the Pulitzer Prize and National Book Award finalist, the beloved instant New York Times bestseller and New York Times book review top ten book about a, a blind French girl and a German boy whose paths collide in occupied France as both try to survive the devastation of World War II. Here's the plot for this one, and it is a great book. Marie Laurie lives with her father in Paris near the Museum of Natural History, where he works as the master of its thousands of locks. When she is six... Marie Laurie goes blind, and her father builds a perfect miniature of their neighborhood so she can memorize it by touch and navigate her way home. When she is 12, the Nazis occupy Paris, and the father and daughter flee to the walled citadel of San Malo, where Marie Laurie's reclusive great-uncle lives in a tall house by the sea. With them, they carry what might be the museum's most valuable and dangerous jewel. In a mining town in Germany, the orphan Werner grows up with his younger sister, enchanted by a crude radio they find. Werner becomes an expert at building and fixing these crucial new instruments, a talent that wins him a place at a brutal academy for Hitler Youth, then a special assignment to track the resistance. More and more aware of the human cost of his intelligence, Werner travels through the heart of the war and finally into San Malo, where his story and Marie Laure's converge. 
Doors' stunning sense of physical detail and gorgeous metaphors are dazzling, says the San Francisco Chronicle. Deftly interviewing or interweaving the lives of Marie Laurie and Werner, he illuminates the ways against all odds. People try to be good to one another. Ten years in the writing, All the Light We Cannot See is a magnificent, deeply moving novel from a writer whose sentences never fail to thrill. And once again, that's a book called All the Light We Cannot See. It's a novel by Anthony Doerr, and I have to say on a personal note, I have read this book, and I also saw the Netflix series, and it is truly a wonderful story. I think you would certainly enjoy listening to this book as well as reading it. Now let's turn to a book by David Baldacci. Simply Lies is the name of it. This is from the number one New York Times bestselling author of The 620 Man comes a twisting new psychological thriller in which two women, one a former detective, the other a dangerous con artist, go head-to-head in an electrifying game of cat and mouse. Here is the plot for Simply Lies. Mickey Gibson, single mother and former detective, leads a hectic life similar to that of many moms, juggling the demands of her two small children with the tasks of her job, working remotely for Pro-Eye, a global investigation company that hunts down wealthy tax and credit cheats. When Mickey gets a call from a colleague named Arlene Robinson, she thinks nothing of Arlene's unusual request for her to go inventory the vacant home of an arms dealer who cheated Pro-Eye's clients and fled. That is, until she arrives at the mansion to discover a dead body in a secret room, and that nothing is as it seems. Not only does the arms dealer not exist, but the murder victim turns out to be Harry Langhorn, a man with mob ties who used to be in witness protection. What's more, no one named Arlene Robinson works at Pro-Eye. In the blink of an eye, Gibson has become a prime suspect in a murder investigation. And now her job is also on the line until she proves that she was set up. Before long, Gibson is locked in a battle of wits with a brilliant woman with no name, a hidden past, and unknown motives, whose end game is as mysterious as it is deadly. Once again, the book is called Simply Lies by the very popular author David Baldacci. Now let's take a look at a book called An Evil Heart. This one was written by Linda Castillo, or possibly Castillo in the pronunciation there. Evil abounds among the Ohio Amish. Painters Mills Police Chief Kate Burkholder is ready to wed her longtime love, Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation Agent John Tomasetti. No longer Amish, she's both happy and nervous that her family wants to join in her wedding celebration. When a dead body is found in the middle of a quiet country road, it's initially thought to be a hit and run. 
but a closer look reveals a grisly murder. The dead man is Aidan Karn, a well-liked Amish youth of 21, on Rumspringa, the time young Amish people get a taste of living in the outside world. Aidan was shot twice with bolts from a crossbow that were then removed. Emily Byler, who'd had a serious relationship with Aidan, is devastated. Searching for enemies, Kate comes up with an Amish-born Vernon Fisher, who instead of joining the church, hangs out at a garage he bought with a rowdy group of friends. Fisher had purchased a truck that Aiden and his roommate Wayne Graber had fixed up, but it stopped working and he wanted his money back. Fisher's nasty temper and rude behavior made him an obvious suspect. But something feels off to Kate, who works with a police task force to dig up background information on Aiden and anyone who knew him. Though the Amish resist talking to the police, Kate gradually learns that Aiden wasn't as nice as he seemed, spending time in bars and picking up women for casual sex. When a prostitute, beaten, sexually assaulted, and killed, is found wrapped in plastic and dumped in a creek, Kate is convinced there's a connection there. Several nasty secrets emerge, and Kate's almost killed before the killer is caught. Characters you care about and a clear-eyed look at their unique culture make this series the best of the Amish bunch. It's called An Evil Heart by Linda Castillo. And you're listening to Heard Any Good Books Lately, our December edition, an exclusive production of the North Carolina Reading Service. Thanks so much for joining me today. Now we're going to take a look at a book called Quantum, and it was by Patricia Daniels Cornwell, the creator of medical examiner Kay Scarpetta, peers into space and finds just as much skullduggery there. Less than nine hours from now, a pair of astronauts, Peggy Whitson and Jack Fisher, are scheduled to install a low-Earth atmospheric reader in the International Space Station. Only a handful of people with NASA know that Lear isn't really Lear. It's status as a quantum machine, America's opening bid to establish a world-dominating quantum Internet, is top secret. One of those people is Federal Special Agent Captain Callie Chase, a nerdy scientist whose hobby is to moonlight as a security guard for NASA Protective Services. Well, that's a great skill set for her to have for hours before the installation is set to begin, and shortly after electrical engineer Vera Young, an outside contractor, reports her ID badge stolen Someone or something trips an alarm in the deep-sunk yellow submarine tunnel linking NASA buildings 1110 and 1111. As a winter storm and a partial government shutdown inch toward the site, Callie and Major Fran Lacey, a multiphobic officer of the NASA police, investigate the suspicious sight and find no reason the alarm should have gone off. 
In the meantime, though, there's potentially more disturbing news. Vera Young seems to have hanged herself after dousing her body in bleach, a possible crime scene that gives Cornwell a chance to show off her trademark forensics. If Vera didn't kill herself, who did? Could it have been her sister, Neva Wrong, the CEO of Pandora Space Systems, or Callie's own twin sister, Carme, a wraith-like, teasingly equivocal figure whose presence Callie keeps sensing even when she's nowhere to be found. Fans mourning Scarpetta's absence will console themselves with a death grip on the myriad technical details, an equally strong, even more tormented heroine, and the determined neglect of the remaining characters. Once again, that's a book by Patricia Daniels Cornwell, and it's a new one entitled Quantum. Now a book by the popular author J.D. Robb. This one is called Payback in Death. It is an Eve Dallas novel. In 2061, Lieutenant Eve Dallas returns from visiting her husband's people in Ireland to confront the murder of a man whose entire career had been devoted to making mortal enemies. Before he retired, Martin Greenleaf was a captain in the New York Police and Security Department's Internal Affairs Bureau. Day after day, he gathered evidence against fellow officers who were taking bribes, attacking criminals with excessive violence, using force against partners who refused to go along with the hooligan methods, working hand-in-glove with organized crime, or establishing criminal networks of their own. Several of the cops Greenleaf targeted escaped the law, by killing themselves, leaving behind vengeful spouses, siblings, and children. Now Greenleaf himself is dead, apparently by his own hand, though it doesn't take Dallas more than a few minutes to disprove that theory to her satisfaction. Which of the many, many enemies he toiled to bring to justice has turned the tables on him for good? The field is so rich that much of this tale is given over to interchangeable interviews by Dallas and Detective Delia Peabody of basically interchangeable subjects. A breakthrough comes when Dallas observes that the manner of Greenleaf's death closely echoes that of one of those bad cops, and the parallels will thicken as she pursues the case, and a major obstruction presents itself when Detective Joe Lansing of the IAB accuses Dallas of disloyalty to the blue line and launches a violent attack on her himself. It's just another day in a near-future landscape filled with dead, dirty cops. And the book is entitled Payback and Death, an Eve Dallas novel. It's by J.D. Robb. And at the beginning, I mentioned in 2061, which is exactly what was what was in the original text for this particular review. I just have a feeling that that is a typo, and it's probably supposed to be 2016. Doesn't matter. In any case, it sounds like a great story. Payback and Death by J.D. Robb. 
Now, coincidentally, here's another novel novel that has payback in the title. In fact, the name of the book is Payback, and it's a novel by Lorenzo Carcaterra. Here's the plot for this one. White ex-cop goes after his brother's killers while attempting to free a black man put in jail by a crooked cop. Tank Rizzo is a New York cop on unwanted retirement thanks to an assailant's bullet. He's taken the time to put together what he calls his team, his teenage nephew, Chris, living with him after losing his parents in a suspicious car crash, his girlfriend, Connie Tremonti, his ex-partner, Frank Pearl Monroe, who uses a wheelchair after having been shot at the same time as Tank, Connie's restaurateur father, Carmen Tremonti, a retired mobster, and various other contacts on both sides of the law. Well, prompted by what his nephew is able to dig up on the Internet, Tank comes to believe that the accounting firm his late brother worked for arranged his death, and he sets out to prove it. As if a white-shoe firm willing to stoop to murder isn't enough of an opponent, Tank also goes after a retired white police detective whose unsurpassed number of closed murder cases had to do with his willingness to pressure young black men into confessing to crimes they didn't commit. There's something appealing about the idea of a team of cops, feds, lawbreakers, and assorted colorful characters out to use any means they can to secure justice. But that's more the stuff of Jack Reacher-type fantasy than the social realism that characterizes this book. Too often it reads like a cartoon version of what Richard Price has achieved in novels like Clockers and Freedom Land. Despite the short, punchy chapters, the book feels padded, full of inflated writing along the lines of I was a man of action and violence standing in a sun-drenched courtyard seeking solace and wisdom from a man of peace and love. And in too many cases, the relationships between characters seem prefab instead of developing as we read. Enjoy the revenge, but don't expect lasting pleasure. That was a very mixed review about a new book that was very popular last month at the State Library, and that is Payback, and it's a novel by Lorenzo Carcaterra. And time for one more before we close the program today. This is Murder in the Courthouse, a Haley Dean mystery by Nancy Grace. Haley Dean, the prosecutor who never lost a case, jets to Savannah as an expert witness on the sensational Julie Love Adams murder trial, but very quickly finds herself embroiled in a deadly mystery. As soon as she touches down, Haley bumps into her old partner, crime investigator Garland Fincher. Leaving the Savannah airport, the two hear an APB on a murder that's just been committed, Racing to the scene, they find Alton Turner, a courthouse sheriff known for crossing T's and dotting I's. The mild-mannered paper pusher is prone to extreme tidiness, but he's a hot mess now, sprawled dead in a pool of blood, severed by 
half of a garage door. Never one to stay in the background, Haley jumpstarts Turner's murder investigation while juggling the Julie Love Adams trial. The timing of the trial and murder could be a coincidence, but everyone knows there are no coincidences in criminal law. And that's just the beginning. Courthouse regulars start dropping dead, one by one. But why? While Lieutenant Billings is falling hard for Haley, she digs in to find a killer with a mysterious agenda. As it becomes deathly apparent, the next murder victim may very well be Haley herself. Murder in the Courthouse, a Haley Dean mystery by Nancy Grace. And that's it for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately. I'm George Douglas. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the State Library of North Carolina, accessible books and library services, simply Google online and you can get the answer. This program is intended for people who are blind or print impaired. Heard Any Good Books Lately will be available right after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. I'm George Douglas. Thanks so much for joining me. and I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We'll see you again in 2024.